Welcome to the KPBS Summer Music Series. In this episode, we'll talk to music pioneer and jazz legend Herbie Hancock, who shares his musical influences, gives a history lesson on auto-tune, and reflects on the first time he saw Aretha Franklin perform. And... Trumpet player Bill Caballero joins us to talk about his Latin jazz jam in Barrio Logan and the importance of providing an inclusive stage for all levels of musicians. And a special live performance by Quinteto Caballero. That's next. Donations come in many forms. A sustaining membership, a one-time gift, even that extra vehicle you no longer need. Learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. Here's how. Go to kpbs.careasy.org or call 877-KPBS-CAR. Welcome to the KPBS Summer Music Series, San Diego's own music discovery podcast that features encore presentations of our best in-studio performances and interviews, celebrating our diverse music scene and beyond. I'm your host, Kurt Koenig. Trumpet player Bill Caballero has been making Barrio Logan move to the music for over 18 years. His Latin jazz jam is unique, with an endless roster of musicians, seasoned and beginners alike, performing together on the same stage. And it's with this welcoming approach that he created a space for the community that's built to last, a place where people of all ages gather and experience the joy of music. Midday Edition's Maureen Cavanaugh talked to Bill, but first, a live performance of La Bruja by Quinteto Caballero. Thank you. 
That was Bill Caballero with La Bruja, performed at Garage Mahal in Pacific Beach. Bill, welcome to the program. Thank you. And can you tell us the other musicians who played with you on that piece? Yes, on guitar I had Ignacio Arango, on bass I had Omar Lopez, timbal I had Giancarlo Anderson, and on congas I had David Castaneda. Now, as I said, every Thursday is your Latin Jazz Jam in Barrio Logan. Can you tell us what is it all about? What can people expect when they go there? For me, on my end, is smiling faces. Everybody's just happy at the jam. They can expect to see some seasoned musicians, and then they're very uh, supportive of the um, not-so-seasoned musicians. Every jam's different. I never know what's going to happen or how it's going to be, but in the end, it's always pretty cool. How did this begin, and how have you kept it going? It began with Brent Beltran, a good friend of mine, uh, hounding me for a year to start it, and I didn't want to do it because jam sessions have a tendency to like have a short uh, shelf life people get all excited and then three weeks later if it's if it's not packed they close it down and i knew that if i did it i was going to be committed to it because i didn't want to quit so i just didn't want to commit to that and he finally talked me into it and uh 18 years later i'm still doing it just out of uh stubbornness <laughs> you let players of all skills, they get up on the stage with you. That's that's really unusual. Why do you do that? Because my jam is inclusive, not exclusive. At my jam, I feel that it's one place where everybody's equal, no matter how good or how bad you are. Like my teacher in college told me, everybody's got their voice. So I just enjoy it, you know. Uh, everybody gets up and, and uh, for instance, Omar Lopez, who played bass, he was attending my jam when he was just a kid, a uh, freshman at San Diego State. Those guys come back and they go, thanks for letting me sit in. Thanks for letting me, you know, start learning the, the ropes and all that stuff. And it, and it comes back to pay me back. Omar plays with the Whalers, you know. Uh, he doesn't have to play with me. And I'm very lucky to have him play. And right on down the line, uh, all the various musicians I use, I just like the fraternity, the brotherhood, if you will, of musicians hanging out. Yeah, but is it difficult to perform with beginners? I mean, how do you keep the music enjoyable for the audience? A very good question. Very good question. That's very important to me as well. I use a veteran band every time. So the house band, they're not beginners. They know what they're doing. So they provide support to the ones that don't know what they're doing so much. I do, you know, a little bit of uh, directing and stuff like that, but... Pretty much having the uh, veteranos in the uh, house band is what gets me through with whoever sits in. Now, a lot of musicians spend time uh, releasing albums, promoting their work, but your focus exclusively is on live music and performing. Why is that? Because the tape don't lie. Uh, I don't know, to be honest with you, because uh, I do make a living at this. Not a a great living, but uh, I'm doing what I want to do. And uh, I just don't like the business side of it, really. And your song, Funky River, was recorded by San Diego band Surefire Soul Ensemble on an album that won a San Diego Music Award. Can you tell us about that, Bill? Yes, it was uh, my Lee Morgan days. Uh, The song, if you ever listen to Lee Morgan, you'll hear Lee Morgan in in that song. And the guys liked it, and we recorded it. Let's hear Funky River by Bill Caballero, recorded by Surefire Soul Ensemble.
Well, your music certainly sounds great recorded. <laughs> so I'm wondering, <laughs> what is it about the live and the live show that you love so much? The interaction. As a matter of fact, if at all possible, like when I used to play at uh, Border X and various other places, I like the band's proximity to be as close to the people as possible. There's energy that goes back, back and forth when you do that. The band feels it. The people feel it. And it's a real turn on, you know, when you're recording and stuff like that. I really respect the, the people that record because you're in an empty room and you're trying to recreate what you do live in an empty room. It's just very difficult. And I like playing off of the energy of the, of the audience and being as close as possible to them as well. Now, you've been a session musician when big acts come through town. What are some of those memorable performances you've been a part of? Oh, uh, Benny Holman, he had the contract for that stuff when I was in the union. So, like, we always provided horn sections for, like, uh, The Temptations, The Stylistics, Natalie Cole, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. It was always fun and to meet those guys and hang out with them a little bit and stuff like that. And, you like, especially The Temptations, we did them, God, about eight times. So, after a while, they get real friendly with you and stuff like that. It, it's kind of cool. And you work with the San Diego Opera for the program Words and Songs, and that's where you bring together young musicians from different neighborhoods. And I would imagine that that's really rewarding. What, what, what do you feel about the most rewarding part of that project? Oh, I love the maniacos. Working with the kids, they really think I'm good, so that's... <laughs> <laughs> That's a go. Um, and, and, and they see that a professional musician is just a regular person. There's no airs or any pretentiousness put on. And I, I just get a kick out of the kids and they're really good. Another thing I like about it is the diversity. Kids from uh, Point Loma High School, kids from Hoover High School, black, white, Asian, brown. It's just all mixed together and everybody's respectful of each other. I'm happy. Tell us about the song we're going to hear next, Wachiwada. Wachiwada is uh, Cal Jader, I believe. It's like a standard with regard to uh, Latin jazz, or I've kind of moved to my own word, homey jazz lately, mixing in oldies with Latin jazz, and that works real well. But uh, Wachiwada is a pretty cool song, has some nice lines, and it only has one chord. So, God, anybody can play on that song. Wachiwada. 
That was Wachi Wada performed by Bill Caballero at Garage Mahal Sessions in Pacific Beach. We're going to hear one more song, Harvest Moon. We're going to go out on it, performed by Bill Caballero. What is it about this song that makes it one of your fan favorites? It's kind of a Latinized version of a song that people didn't see coming. You know, they're like listening to going, oh, my God, that's Harvest Moon. They're doing Harvest Moon. And uh, what do you call it? I like that. It's kind of like a little surprise song. And and to be truthful with you, uh, I'm going to probably start doing more of that, taking uh, songs that are kind of popish and Latinizing them. Bill, thanks so much. It was great talking to you. Thank you. I appreciate it.
Coming up next, jazz legend and music pioneer Herbie Hancock talks about his musical journey and what inspired his iconic album, Headhunters. From jazz to post-bop, Herbie Hancock is one of the architects behind much of the music we hear today. He spoke with Midday Edition's Jade Hindman about taking creative risks, who influenced his style and career, and why autotune is old news. Herbie Hancock, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. How are you doing? Doing just fine. You know, your career in music, it started before you even hit your teenage years. You performed with the Chicago Symphony when you were just 11. How did you learn to play piano at such a young age? Well, I, I started taking piano lessons when I was seven. And they started there. I had a, a, a great teacher named uh, Mrs. Jordan. She was the one that, that entered me into a, uh, a young people's concert series, and I won. I won for the piano. And the prize for each of the instruments is to be able to play the concerto that you used for the uh, audition with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. So I won, and I got a chance to play with them. You draw influences from all over. On your debut album, for example, taken off in 1962, your song The Watermelon Man pulled from gospel and blues music. Um, what inspired you to first pull from those genres? I'm from Chicago. Enough said. <laughs> that is the sound of Chicago, the sound of home, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're from Chicago and you can't play the blues, that means you're not really from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> performed with countless legends uh, over your long career. What were some of the highlights, and uh, who really pushed you to keep building your skills? Well, first, uh, it was Donald Byrd that really um, he discovered me, brought me from Chicago to New York with his band, and, and he's the first person to tell me to hold on to my publishing, that he would set up a publishing company for me because um, he liked the songs that I was writing, He's the first person to actually get me the uh, record contract with, with Blue Note. He told me how to do it. <laughs> I told them I was being drafted into the Army and I wanted to make a record before I, I left. I kind of told a little, I guess they call it a white lie. <laughs> <laughs> so they said yes. And anyway, one of the songs was Watermelon Man. So it was Donald Byrd. Then it was Miles because he hired young musicians and uh, Miles encouraged us to always try new things And because there were new influences from the avant-garde that was uh, happening at the time, you know, in, in the 60s. And Miles wanted that. So he encouraged us to, you know, keep exploring new territory and keep writing tunes. And so that kind of encouragement I've kept since then, and I, I always try to try to um, encourage my mu musicians in this, exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. 
did you first meet Aretha Franklin? I was with Miles Davis's band, and we were uh, to perform in Los Angeles at the time I was living in New York. Anyway, there was an opening act, and the opening act was, was a trio led by a very young woman who played kind of bluesy piano, and she sang. I came early before we uh, were to go on to hear what this young lady, whose name was Aretha Franklin, <laughs> I wanted to hear what she sounded like. And she played nice piano, you know, kind of funky kind of piano. That was cool. And then she got up and sang and sang, and it was, it was all over then. Unbelievable. She blew everybody away. And then, then we had to follow that. Wow. And now I have to now I have to ask, what were you all what was your performance? We played what we played. It was Miles Davis's band, remember that? With Tony Williams on drums and and at the time Wayne Shorter on saxophone. Mm. But Ron Carter was on bass and Miles. Right. So we didn't do too badly. Let's, let's say it that way. Your Headhunters album was the first jazz album to go platinum and successfully combines funk with jazz. Where did that inspiration come from? Prior to putting the Headhunters band together, I had uh, what we call now the Mwandishi band, uh, which was more an avant-garde, really far-out, untethered uh, kind of uh, band with, with uh, you know, pretty spacey music. But what I was listening to was Sly Stone and the Commodores. <laughs> and then I, I got tired of playing out in space. I wanted to do something that was, you know, more earthy and, and something that was closer, really closer to my, my own roots. And, and at the same time, synthesizers had come out. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, being a you know former engineering major in college, um, that intrigued me too, you know, the, the science part of it, and and so you know I immediately gravitated to that. I had no idea it was going to blow up the way it did, but I'm happy it did. You've had tremendous success on the pop charts and influenced hip-hop and electronic music. Um, and as you mentioned, you double majored in music and electrical engineering. Um, how has your passion for electrical engineering influenced your music? Uh, the way my mind works is I have kind of an analytical mind, and that's been a real asset, especially living in the technological age. But even before that, back in 75, I even... Uh, uh, ran across this device called a vocoder. Who knew that that was going to wind up being auto-tuned, which all the singers use, you know, in the pop and R&B world. Now, how do you keep successfully reinventing the sound of music, and what are you working on now? I'm always looking to do something that I haven't done before. 
What I like to do is break things. What I like to do is break rules, things that kind of keep us locked into a comfort zone. You know, and I like to go beyond the comfort zone because every human being has infinite potential. Well, let's open up the walls and explore new territory. It takes a lot of courage to do that, but we have that. We have that actually built inside. It's just a matter of deciding you want to continually grow as long as you live. Herbie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the KPBS Summer Music Series. To catch a new episode every two weeks, subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And for performance videos and more great artists, visit kpbs.org slash summer music series. John Decker is Interim Associate General Manager of Content, Lisa Jane Morissette, Operations Manager, and Megan Burke is Senior Producer. I'm Kurt Conan.